0: Take your Bibles and turn to Galatians chapter 4. We'll in Galatians 4 for our Bible study tonight. And if you haven't been with us on Wednesday nights, we're working our way through this epistle, this letter that Paul wrote to the churches of Galatia. And we have a good ways to go yet, even though there's only a chapter and a half left or two chapters left. We still have a, a long way to go. To cover all that is contained here, our text tonight is going to be verses 8 through 11, which we'll read, and then I'll give you a little bit of refresher of where we've been because we're starting sort of a new section. Paul is, is uh, beginning a new section here in this verse, and it's going to carry on all the way through the middle of chapter 5. But our text verses say in verse 8, chapter 4 How be it then, when ye knew not God? He did service unto them which by nature are no gods. But now, after that ye have known God, or rather are known of Him, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements, whereunto ye desire again to be in bondage? Ye observe days and months and times and years. I'm afraid of you, lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain. Now we need to understand where we're at in this letter and why Paul is is even stating the things that he is. Throughout pretty much all of chapter 1 and chapter 2, Paul had been doing a couple of things. First of all, he had been very stoutly defending the divine origin of his apostleship and the gospel message that he preached. And the message that he preached was, as you remember, salvation is by grace through faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. And that was the message he preached. You can look in chapter 2 in verse 16 where Paul said knowing this that a man is not justified by the works of the law but by the faith of Jesus Christ. And to be justified means to it means to be declared righteous. In other words, accepted of God or in the eyes of God, righteous, not because we have righteousness, but declared to be righteous through the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And so that's the message Paul has been preaching. That message and the authority to preach that message wasn't his own. It came from God and was independent of men. And he states that in chapter 1. In verse 11, he says, But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man, for I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so Paul is saying, not only is my apostleship, but also the message I preach that is not of me, it is not given by authority from other men, it came from God, from Jesus Christ. And that's a promise. And so... That's what he's doing in chapter 1 and 2. The reason he had to do this, defend himself, and the message that he preached was because of the influence of the Judaizers. And for you that haven't been with us, this is new information for you probably. All the rest of you, you ought to remember this because I pretty much repeat it every Wednesday night. So you ought to get the, the gist of what's happening in the, in the epistle of Galatians. And who were the Judaizers? Somebody tell me. I'll put you on the spot. We don't do this on Wednesday nights normally, but let's have some dialogue, some feedback. Who were the Judaizers? Anybody? It's all right. If you're wrong, I'll not. No, No. not Cephas. He he was. He was the ones that were following Paul around, and they were basically saying that it was works. You know, the law was good, but, you know, Christ brought good but we still had to <clears throat> fulfill these parts of the law right to be right but they were following him closely so we Yes yeah, so everywhere Paul went as Paul was preaching and planting churches in many cases these judaizers they came from Jerusalem but what they were doing was they were uh, not they were they were on purpose trying to discredit the apostle Paul and they were trying to Uh, dissuade people from believing the message that Paul preached. These Judaizers were those who had mixed faith with works. In other words, they were perverting the true gospel of Jesus Christ. They were also corrupting the minds of those in the Galatian churches with that doctrine. And what they were doing is they were saying that in order for you to be saved, you not only have to believe in Jesus, But you also have to be circumcised or you have to keep the law of Moses in addition to believing in Jesus Christ. And it was a mixture of faith and works, and they were drawing the Galatian believers away from the truth of the gospel. In chapter 1, in verse 6, Paul says, "...I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. Now, some of those words might be confusing to some of you where Paul says they're preaching another gospel, which is not another. Those are different words in the Greek language, but they're translated as the same word in English. But basically what it means is, They're preaching another gospel, which isn't another one of the same kind, meaning it's just as effectual, and it's it's the same thing. No, it's a different gospel. Altogether, it's a perversion of the true gospel. And so Paul is expressing his shock and his disbelief that they could so quickly and easily be swayed from what they already knew to be true. How did they come to know Jesus Christ? Was it through the works of the law, or was it through the faith of Christ? Paul asked them that question. By the time you get to chapter 3, Paul comes back to the Galatians and their unfaithfulness to the gospel in listening to these false teachers. These Galatians turning away from the gospel back to a system of works was not only some kind of spiritual treason, but it was also an act of folly to enslave themselves. Paul said in chapter 3, verse 1, O foolish Galatians! who hath bewitched you that ye should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you. In verse 3, he says, Are ye so foolish, having begun in the Spirit? Are ye now made perfect by the flesh? And so he's drawing attention to their folly. And Paul's message throughout chapter 3 is basically this. God made a promise. And he promised that salvation was by faith. God cannot break his word. His promise stands. The law of Moses was not given to change the promise of God in any way, but the law was given in order to show us our sin and how desperately we need the promise of God in a Savior named Jesus Christ. Our salvation couldn't possibly come through the keeping of the law because we could never keep it perfectly, and it demands perfection. In other words, you can't work your way to heaven You can't do anything good in order to please God. And the law was given to show us how desperately we need salvation so that we would turn to the Savior who supplied it for us. And so that's what's happening in chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3. Paul shows what their problem was, and he also had proven that salvation or justification is by grace, through faith in Christ alone and not any law keeping at all. And he did that very effectively. In other words, Paul is saying a man cannot make God accept him. He can't put God in debt by doing some good things and then saying, see God, you've got to accept me because look at all the things that I did. Justification or a right standing with God comes only on the basis of faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ on my behalf. That is what makes me acceptable to God. So justification by faith in Jesus Christ has been proven. And now we get to where we're at in our letter and in this text. And from this point to about the middle of chapter 5, Paul begins to make an appeal to these Galatian churches to dump this legalism idea and get back to right thinking and right doctrine and right standing with God. And so after proving the folly of what they were doing and listening to these Judaizers, now Paul makes his appeal to them. You've got you to dump this. You've got to get back to right thinking and right doctrine and following after the truth. And there are five appeals that Paul makes that we're going to examine in the weeks ahead. Tonight, we'll just consider the first one. That first appeal that Paul makes to these believers is, is this. He says, don't turn back. Don't backslide. Don't go back. The first appeal is just what one would expect. A people who have or are about to turn their back on the truth from God, they need a message. And that message is this. Don't backslide. Don't turn around. Don't go backwards in your Christian life. And we're going to see three things that Paul says to them. He's going to tell them, first of all, to remember their former life. Secondly, he's going to tell them to look at their present life, what they have in the Lord. And then thirdly, he's going to say, going to tell them, consider what you're doing and where it's going to lead. And so we'll consider these three things and make some applications for us tonight too. Let's pray and then we'll begin. Lord, I do ask for your help tonight in the Word of God. I pray that you help me just to give the truth, Lord, to expound on it as you'd have me to. But then, Lord, I pray that you would make the application in the hearts of your people. And Lord, if that is encouragement, if that is challenge, if that's conviction, whatever it might be, Lord, we leave that with you. And I pray that each of us would have a heart to examine the scriptures tonight, and Lord, to be able to see and look in the the perfect law of liberty, look into the mirror of God's Word, and Lord, I pray that we'd have the right response to it tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. First of all, let's consider the first thing that Paul says in his appeal to not backslide. Don't turn back. He says, first of all, remember your former life. Look at verse 8. Of our text, chapter four and verse eight. He says, How be it then, when ye knew not God, ye did service unto them which by nature are no gods? And Paul is, is basically saying, Remember what you were when you were an unbeliever, before you ever believed in Jesus Christ, and before you ever experienced salvation, remember what you were. And I want you to note. That the unbeliever here and the Galatians in particular is characterized by two significant traits. The first one is this before you were saved, Paul says you didn't know God. He says in verse 8 there, howbeit, when ye knew not God. The unbeliever doesn't know God. It means it means that the unsaved person doesn't know God in a personal way. It's not talking about knowing about God. Or knowing about God intellectually, having some facts about Him. But no, it's talking about knowing God personally, in which God's Spirit dwells within you. And before you're saved, He said, remember what you were. You didn't know God. The, the Spirit of God didn't dwell in you as an unbeliever or an unsaved person. The Spirit of God doesn't dwell in you, and so you don't know God, and you can't experience God's presence. You don't experience God's assurance in your life. You don't experience God's love and His confidence and His power. You don't know what anything is of that is about. You didn't know God. You don't understand the very real presence of God in your day-to-day life. One that also gives you confidence of your eternal destiny with God. That kind of knowing God. That kind of confidence. That kind of presence day to day. He says, before you were saved, you didn't know God. And I actually wonder how many professing Christians actually don't know anything about that either. Sit in church pews, have a profession of faith. But in your day-to-day life, you don't really understand or know the presence of God. The assurance that God gives His children love, power over sin. In fact, I wonder how many claim Christ, but don't actually even really think much about Him throughout the week. Come to church, so everybody thinks that we're saved, but we don't really know God. I wonder. The unsaved person, Paul says, before you were a believer in Christ, you didn't know God. Not only that, but you served false gods. Here's the second trait that characterizes an unbeliever. He says in verse 8, how then when ye knew not God, ye did service unto them which by nature are no gods. He says you serve false gods. Even before the Galatian believers in their conversion in Jesus Christ, the Galatians had sensed a need for God. He says here, you you served or did service to those who by very nature are no gods. That means they had some religion to them. It means that they had some, some ceremony to them. It, it means that that they had some sense of a need of God. Their need for being acceptable to God was manifest in the fact that they worshipped pagan gods. They had the God of Jupiter, who was Zeus. They had the God of Mercury, which was Hermes, and several others. But the point is, they were religious. They were enslaved to their heathen gods already. They had their rituals. They had their ceremonies, they had their rules and their regulations, they had all of their superstitions, and note what Paul says in verse, at the end of verse 8, he says, you did service unto them which by nature are no gods. Paul said by their very nature, they actually weren't even gods at all that you were worshiping or serving. How could they be gods when you're the one who created them? They were not gods at all. They were gods of their own imagination or their own creation. And there's an application here because what most people worship today is only a creation in their own mind. People believe there's a God People believe in God, but all too often their version of who God is is what is created in their own mind. In other words, they have an idea of God, an idea of what He is like, and they worship that idea. This is the reason why you can talk to somebody and you could ask him, do you believe in God? Oh, yeah, I believe in God. Well, do you, do you believe that, that God is going to judge sin? Oh, no, no, no. God is love. God is love. I don't believe that. Do you believe there's a hell? No, I don't believe there's a hell. Why, do you, why don't you believe that? Well, I just don't believe that there is. Because if God was love, why would he send people to hell? And people have all their different versions of who and how and what God is like, and it's all a creation of their own mind. Rather than going to the very Word of God and seeking after God's revelation of Himself, they determine for themselves what is acceptable to God. Have you ever noticed that? I can live a certain way, I can do what I want, because I've determined for myself what is acceptable to God, when actually God has given us a revelation of Himself right here. And instead of going here and actually finding out what God has said about himself, people worship a God of their own mind. And the point is this. Whether a man bows to an idol like the Galatians had before they came to know Christ, they had images or idols of their gods, Whether a man bows to an idol or an image or not, men often worship their own ideas, their own thoughts, their own concepts, and their own imaginations. Their own thoughts become their God. And in reality, they don't know Jesus Christ. But sometimes Christian people can be the same way. We can invent in our own mind, what is acceptable to God. And rather than aligning our life with truth, we end up worshiping the God of self, my own way of thinking, my own will, my own imagination. And our own thoughts become our God. Jesus said, he was talking to his disciples in John 15, he was talking about, what the religious crowd would do to them. That sometime, at some point they would be persecuted. And Jesus said to them, the reason that they're going to do this, and they're going to do it for My name's sake, but the reason they're going to do it is because they know not Him that sent Me. Oh, they're very religious, but they actually don't know My Father. They don't know God at all. In John 16, He says something very similar. These things will they do unto you because they have not known the Father nor me. And you know what? There are people today who even sit in good churches. They have a Bible knowledge to some degree. In fact, the Bible says in 2 Timothy 3, 7 that they are ever learning, but they're never able to come to the knowledge of the truth means they got all the Bible facts, they know all that's going on here, but they don't know how it actually applies in their own life. Never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. There's another application here because Paul says you need to remember what you were. And in a sense, every believer needs to remember where he came from before he came to know God. It's a good thing for us to remember what we were. God has been most gracious and merciful to us all. And may we never forget that Jesus Christ has purged us from our sins. He has purchased us with His own blood. I do not belong to myself. I belong to Him. And you know what? There's an element of this backsliding thought that applies to unsaved people, but it also applies to saved people the christian who is backsliding has forgotten what he was before christ saved him and the farther and farther away he gets from the things of the lord the more evident that becomes mm-hmm. second peter 1:5 says and beside this giving all diligence add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge and to knowledge temperance and to temperance patience and to patience godliness and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, charity. Here's a growing in the growing in the things of God. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you, that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off, and he hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins." Becoming enslaved again to the flesh. Second Peter 1 and verse 10 says this, Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure, for if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. So you're not going to backslide. You're not going to fall away from truth if you give diligence in your relationship to the Lord. And so Paul in his appeal to the Galatians to move away from this legalism idea, get rid of it, get back on track, he states to them, they they had been sliding back, they had been turning away, and he says, you need to remember what you were. But the second thing is, he says, you need to look at your present life. Verse 9, he says, But now, so he says, How be it then, when ye knew not God, ye did service unto them, which by nature are no gods. But now, after that ye have known God, or rather are known of him, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements, whereunto ye desire again to be in bondage? He says, look at your present life. What is it about your present life? He says, after ye have known God, Or rather, are known of God. Wow, what a statement. Do you know that you and I, if we're saved, Brother Seth, do you know that we're given the most wonderful privilege that we could ever possibly imagine? What is that? That you know God, but more importantly than that, that He knows you that he knows you, to be known of him. Paul says that you, in verse nine, after that ye have known God, or rather are known of him. What a statement. It implies to us and tells us that God has accepted us and he has become a father to us. What an amazing thing. that that our minds could probably not really ever comprehend. He knows you intimately as a son or a daughter. What a glorious privilege to have that relationship. What were you before? An enemy of God? Now, you're a son of God. And He knows you intimately. Isaiah 43 One says, But now, thus saith the Lord that created thee, I have redeemed thee, I have called thee by thy name, thou art mine. What a wonderful truth that you and I could have the privilege of having a relationship with Creator God. He can't even look at sin, friend, and that's all we are. We deserve nothing but judgment and wrath and death and condemnation, and yet now he knows me. I'm his son. 1 Corinthians 8:3 But if any man love God, the same is known of him. John 10:14 Jesus said, I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine. 2 Timothy 2.19, Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are His. What a wonderful truth. But let me make this application here. Believer, beloved, brethren, we ought to constantly be looking at our lives. Paul says, look at your present life to these Galatian believers. And in a sense, we ought to be constantly looking at our present life. The glorious salvation that God has given, the blessings that He has bestowed on us. Listen, we don't come into those from the works that we've done. We don't come into those from, from the merit of our own. That's not how we have been known of God. There's a lot of people that try to come into the blessing of God through the works they've done. But that is the very reason why Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 21, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name cast out devils? And in thy name we've done many wonderful works. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Wow. And so that means what? It means what to us? It means that there are people who claim Christianity. There are people who claim to know the name of Jesus Christ. And someday, they even sit in pews like this. Some probably here, even tonight. I don't know. Only God knows. But someday, they're going to stand before God, and they're going to say, Hey, God, you should accept me, because I claimed your name, and I did this. I went to church. I was a member. I did all of these things. Look, God. And he's going to say, I never knew you. I don't care what you say. You can say you know me all you want, but the problem is I didn't know you. Does God know you? I don't care if you have a profession of faith. I don't care if you're a member of a church. Does God know you? It's good for us to examine and look at our present life. Jesus said, I know my sheep and am known of mine. Paul says, remember what you were and remember what you have in Christ now. What you have in Christ is so superior to what you were in your old religion. It's like that if you remember what we talked about early on in chapter 4, it's like that Roman boy who was under tutors and governors who became a man and was free to enjoy his wealth and then he trades all of that freedom to go back into the slavery of being under tutors and governors. That's what Paul says to the Galatians. You're free in Christ. And you're like, you're like that boy who, who's, who can experience the freedom in Christ, but you choose to give it all up to go back into slavery. But you know there's another application here because that's what it's like for the backsliding saint too. We forget what we have in Jesus Christ. We forget what we were. We forget the blessing of what a Christian life really is, and we go after pursuing this world and pursuing its goods, and we, and we, listen, we end up becoming slaves to our own ambition. We're not free like we think we are. Our own ambitions enslave us again. That's what happens to the backslider. Paul says to these believers, You should remember what you were. You need to look at your life now, the blessing you have from Christ. But then the third and final thing is that Paul says you need to consider what you're doing. You need to consider your turning. You need to consider what sliding back is going to mean. Look at verse 9 again, the second part. He says, "...how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements..." Whereunto you desire again to be in bondage? You observe days and months and times and years. I am afraid of you or for you, lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain. Paul says you need to consider what you're doing. And I want you to note the critical point here. Note what Paul says about them when, they're in, when they've been involved with the Judaizers and and. and mixing works and faith and turning from the true gospel. Note what he says, what you're turning to in verse 9. He says, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements, whereunto ye desire again to be in bondage? He says, what you're turning to is weak and beggarly things. Does that mean that they would turn back to their pagan worship? No, that's not what he's talking about. He's referring to what the Judaizers were teaching them that they can approach God and find favor with God by keeping the law and the works of the law. And that is not what makes us acceptable in God's sight. It's not by effort that we make. But let me say this, that's exactly what all religions do. They try to make effort of their own to be acceptable with God. There's always a system of works whereby they can please God or earn favor of God. That's what religion does, no matter what it is. And Paul says, you're turning to that which is weak. You're turning to that which is beggarly. Weak in the sense that the law and other approaches to God are weak and that they're helpless in saving a man. The law itself can only point a man to Jesus Christ. It can only point out a man's sin. It can never justify or make him acceptable to God. It's weak. He says it's beggarly. The law and other approaches to God are beggarly, and that they're worthless in saving a man's soul. It's not of something of any value for that. And Paul illustrates that point by, by making reference to their religious observances. He says, You observe the, what does he say in verse 10? You observe days and months and times and years. These are all their religious observances, and none of them were of any value in being acceptable to God. Just as a side note, did you know that observing Christmas or Easter or Lent or any other thing will never gain a person favor with God at any point? Whether you do or don't. Paul says these things are elementary things. These are the ABCs. These are things that are so inferior to what you have in Christ. But the result of this backsliding is going to lead to two things. He says it's going to lead to bondage. He says that in verse, the end of verse 9, he desire again to be in bondage. The result of backsliding is going to lead to bondage. And there are two ways that that can be applied. It can be applied to the unsaved. It also can be applied to the saved. For the unsaved person, keeping rules for salvation, that only enslaves people. And here's the reason why. Because you're going to have to keep trying and keep trying and keep trying, and you're never going to succeed. You notice that with religion? Where people, in order to try to please their God, they'll do inhumane things even crawling on their hands and knees on on rocks for for miles to try to you know to rid themselves of their flesh so that they can please their god and they're going to keep trying and trying and trying and they'll never succeed that man's still going to sin that man's still going to die and he'll never have confidence that god knows him that's bondage that's slavery But it can also apply to the saved, because you might be saved and you know the Lord, but you know you can fall again into bondage yourself. Romans 6 teaches us that whoever you yield your members to, that's whose servant you are, whether of sin unto death or whether obedience unto righteousness. You can fall into bondage again yourself. When we stray from truth, we backslide from the things of God, we begin to pursue our own will in our own way. We enslave ourselves again to the flesh and the things of this world. And it always is amazing how deceitful our heart is and how deceitful our flesh is. Because people will try and try and try. They're, they're, they're chasing this carrot out there, trying to find some satisfaction that they're craving. But a life that is lived outside of Jesus Christ will never find the satisfaction they're craving. Either way, the ultimate end is the second result of backsliding, and that is this it ends up with a wasted life. Paul says in verse 11, he says, I'm afraid of you, afraid for you. I'm fearful for you. As their spiritual father, Paul says, I'm fearful for you, lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain. All the work that I have put into you, even the persecution, the preaching of the Gospel, I'm fearful that it might be in vain. If you're turning your back on truth and on God, it's going to end in a wasted life. This applies to the unsaved and it applies to the saved as well. For the unsaved, Paul was essentially afraid that he might have labored in vain with them. That's what he said here. But the truth is, every approach to God that is outside of faith in Jesus Christ, it's going to fail. It ends in condemnation. It ends in death. Every life outside of Jesus Christ is a wasted life. Look in Romans chapter 3. Just quickly, I'll be finished here in just a moment. But note note what Romans 3 has to say about a life that is outside of Jesus Christ. In Romans 3 and verse 10, As it is written, There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. Notice this. This is all of humanity outside of Jesus Christ. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Notice where the Apostle Paul writing to the Romans says that mankind outside of Jesus Christ is altogether unprofitable. You know what that word means? It means to render useless. A life apart or outside of Jesus Christ is a wasted life. This truth concerning backsliding, ending in a wasted life is true for the saved as well. A life that is not lived for Jesus Christ after you've been saved, is ultimately a wasted life. We're saved not so that we can serve ourselves. We're saved so that we can serve God. We are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. And God has before ordained that we should walk in those things. That is the purpose for which he saved us. In 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 19, it says, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. The point is, we don't belong to ourselves. If we get away from truth and we get away from walking close to the Lord, we get away from the things of God, we start pursuing our own will and our own way, ultimately that life is going to end up with nothing. It's going to end up wasted. You're going to die. And then who shall those things be which thou hast acquired? You're going to stand before God empty-handed Jesus said in Luke 9 and verse 62, no man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. In other words, the illustration of a farmer who's going to plow his field, you put your hand to the plow, you begin to work, and you're constantly looking behind you. You can't plow a straight line And be effective and efficient. The Lord has saved you that our life might be used for His glory, for His honor. We keep looking back to the world or to the flesh or serving ourselves. It's going to end in a wasted life. Backsliding people need appeal after appeal. And why? Because they're walking... A dangerous road when they turn their back on God or His truth. But you know the thing about backsliders is this, generally speaking, most will think that they're just fine. Most will think that their relationship with God is fine. I don't care what the preacher says or anybody else but they can't see their true spiritual condition. And nobody can convince them of it either. It only takes and can only be the Word of God and the Spirit of God that opens their eyes. May the Lord help us, amen, to not turn back. Paul said to these, he encouraged them. He had to rebuke them. He had to come down hard on them, but his encouragement is don't turn back. He said there to them in verse 8, find it here, and I'll finish. Yeah, he says, How be it then, when ye knew not God, ye did service unto them which by nature are no gods? But now, after that ye have known God, or rather are known of Him, how turn ye again? to the weak and beggarly elements. Like, how is it that you can turn away and backslide from the truth when you have so much in the Lord? Well, our deceitful heart, our sinful heart is what causes us to do that. And may the Lord help us. Amen. Next time, we're going to dig into the next appeal that Paul makes to the Galatians in verses 12 through 20. And it seems to be a more personal one. And it's maybe one that's a more common result when there's backsliding people or a backsliding person. And Paul's going to talk about his own or their relationship to him as their father in the Lord. Remember, they had turned their back on him too. He had to defend his apostleship to them because of the Judaizers. And Paul has some pretty strong things to say and some encouraging things to say at the same time to them regarding their relationship. And so, that'll be the next appeal that Paul makes to these Galatian believers, and we'll dig into that next time, okay? But in the meantime, let's ask the Lord to help us to stay straight and stay true. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You, Lord, for Your Word. And Lord, we thank You for its instruction in righteousness for us. And and Lord, the encouragement to stay true, to stay straight, to not turn back can apply uh, to the saint of God just, uh, just as easily and as importantly as an unsaved person turning their back on their opportunities to know God. And Lord, I pray that you would help us, Lord, to stay close to you and to give diligence, like Peter said, add to our faith virtue and to virtue knowledge and all of these things working together in our life, to grow us in our knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and how Peter said, if you do these things, (coughs) you shall never fall. They become a safeguard against falling away or backsliding. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us as your people to stay close to you. In Jesus' name, amen.